I think it was in 1985, if I'm not mistaken, when I was struggling more than I ever had struggled in my entire life. It was a situation where I was in a small church with a lot of conflict. People were at one another. Uh, that was due, uh, the, the situation was somewhat self-inflicted due to my own naivete and my own weakness. Some of the confusion was due to multiple philosophies of ministry in a small church. I later learned some of it was due to the fact that some of our key leaders weren't even believers. That'll cause problems. I was close to quitting. I'd been in the ministry for 10 years, five as an associate pastor in multi-staff situations and five as a solo pastor carrying the burden for everything that was going on. But it was going downhill quickly and I was ready to give up. And then one day in 1995, a dear friend stopped by and we had a wonderful afternoon together. That dear friend was my pastor, Bob Shelton. That evening he was speaking in the area and I went to hear him preach and again, just to be under the sound of the man who spoke the word of God to me in my early days, lifted my soul heavenward. We had breakfast in the morning and he said some very kind things and encouraging things. And he said, don't give up. And so I didn't. <laughs> By the grace of God, I kept going. It was that interaction with that spiritual leader that made a huge change in my, my life. Spiritual leaders are vitally important for our spiritual growth and stability. I find it a bit uneasy and awkward today to talk to you from Hebrews 13 about the importance of spiritual leaders because that's the position I'm in. But I'm gonna do my best to forget about myself and just tell you what the word of God says, whether it was me talking or not. It all seems so self-serving to talk about how a church should respond and deal with their leaders. And yet this is King Jesus, this is his word. And I'm never ashamed to proclaim the truth of God's word. One of the advantages of going through a book verse by verse is that you deal with topics that you normally wouldn't deal with. I would never bring up this topic on my own. But since we are now at the penultimate sermon of the series, last but one, isn't that amazing? In the book of Hebrews, we are going to deal with God, what God has before us. So open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. We jumped over verse seven with a few comments, but I want to return to it. Verse seven says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, considering the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Some important words I wanna draw out from that. The very first one is uh, 
simply the idea of leaders or leadership, a very interesting word here that is used three times in the text. We'll see it again in verse 17 and verse 24. And these are past leaders, for they formally spoke to you the word of God. It's very possible that these leaders were the ones who started the assembly uh, that this letter is addressed to, a group of believers. And there is some debate whether it is in Judea or whether the assembly is actually in Rome. But leaders who were good leaders. In fact, the same word of leadership is used in Luke 22 where Jesus said, you are not to be like the Gentiles. The greatest among you should be the youngest and the one who rules like one who serves. So the whole leadership here, the one who has some authority to direct a congregation is not to be the boss, but the servant. Or Acts 15 talks about the elders and the apostles with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas and they chose Judas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. So now we're even, we're not talking about apostles and we're not talking about elders, but we're talking about some who were leaders having that influence of a godly life with maturity and experience. Wherever churches were planted in the New Testament, leaders were established. By the way, the word leader is plural. Did you notice that? It's not supposed to be a one-man show. There are leaders, some full-time in their commitment and others lay leaders, as we call them. In Acts 14, they appointed elders in every church. And in Titus 1.5, they appointed elders in every city. That might be referring to the same thing, although sometimes in cities there were house churches, multiple churches with uh, various elders working in the individual uh, assemblies. So just as a kingdom has officials, so the kingdom of God visualized in the local assembly has its leaders. And these guys, the former leaders for the Hebrews, they were really good. They were good because they spoke the word of God to you. In fact, if you go back to chapter two and verse three, they're the ones who talked about salvation and the message was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So some of these leaders actually heard Christ or heard the people who were with Christ, the apostles, and you've got this close association with the beginning of the, of the gospel with Christ himself. And these leaders committed to Christ are the ones who are speaking the word of God to you with few copies of scripture. The importance of preaching the word of God was enhanced And they gathered together and heard from their leaders the word of God. That's what makes a really good leader. But secondly, a really good leader is one whose outcome of life is worth following, worth emulating. So these leaders demonstrate the same heroism of faith as the people in chapter 11 
Remember that whole chapter of all the heroes of the faith that we talked about? Well, they had living heroes in their midst, these leaders who loved Christ and followed him. They were leaders during hard times because if you go back to chapter 10 and verse 32, it talks about the persecution that came to them and that persecution that uh, caused many to lose all that they possessed as well as uh, physical abuse and the leaders were right there. Look at the outcome of their life. It's not probably talking about martyrdom, it's talking about people who ended well, faithful to the end. There is hardly anything more damaging in the church of Jesus Christ today than the moral fall of a public figure. And it's happening time and time and time again. Pray for your leaders that that doesn't happen. Devastating. But these people could look back to some great leaders who spoke the word of God and had a life worth imitating. Isn't that a great word? Scan their lives and imitate their faith. Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We weren't idle among you. We worked hard day and night so we wouldn't be a burden to any of you. And we did this not because we don't have the right to ask for your help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. Leaders don't tell people what to do in that mode of do as I say, not as I do. Leaders are the ones who say do as I do. And that's a tough position to be in. Paul said, We lived as a model for you to imitate. And when leaders leave, Jesus remains. These were former leaders and they were gone, but look at verse eight. Jesus, you may not have your leaders right now, or the leadership may be changing, but look at this. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As good as your leaders may be, they're frail, And they do fail, and they will be gone. But Jesus will never fail and never leave. I received a call uh, in the summer from a gentleman I did not know. Actually, it was an email. And he said, I went to an estate and bought some items, or bought the estate, I can't remember the exact situation. He said, and in this estate was a Bible that belonged to Dr. Howard Sugden. Now, some of you may not know that Dr. Howard Sugden was the pastor here at South Church for almost 40 years, full-time pastor and then emeritus, totaled about 39 years. So this man said, would, I, I would like to donate the Bible to the church. Would you be willing to take it? I said, absolutely. So it took a long time. I just got the Bible, I think, the week before last, and I opened it up, and in the beginning of the Bible, Dr. Sugden had written, this is my first Bible. From the 1930s, I guess, 1920s. And he had handwritten in there the day of his conversion and the schools that he had gone to 
and Tennessee and Winona Lake and, and a few other interesting things. And then throughout this old Bible, there were notes everywhere. I have two Bibles from Dr. Sugden, one from this first one and then one of his old ones. The print was so small in the first one and the print was so large in the last. <laughs> because in his 80s, he was still studying the word. Isn't it great to have a former leader like that who ended well? Look at the outcome of his life. Imitate his faith. And then you won't go so wrong. Remember, this is written to a group of people who are about ready to leave the faith. And he says, just remember your leaders. You had some good ones. And imitate their life. And don't give up. Don't forget them. Remember them. So that's the first thing. Remember your leaders and imitate their faith. Now we're going to jump down to verse 17 for the second thing. Trust your leaders and yield to their authority or submit to them. Very interesting verse, verse 17. The NIV 2011, the latest edition, has have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. A lot of translations have the word obey, but then they follow up with the word submit, which are very similar in nature. The Greek word behind that very first word translated here, have confidence, is the idea of something to convince or trust. So I like the translation, trust your leaders, have confidence in your leaders, and yield. Now I know the Bible says yield to their authority, and that's implied, but it isn't in the text. Have confidence in your leaders and yield. I hope you can see why this is rather uncomfortable for me to preach on something like this. But it is the word of God. And God is a, a God of order, not confusion. And the church is an organism that has divine organization to it. When people say, I, I don't like the established church. Well, I understand it. The established church has its problems. But what kind of church do you like? And many people who say, I, I don't like the established church, the institutional church, are people who go, don't go to church at all, which chapter 10 of Hebrews says is a big sin. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, it's not a perfect place. <laughs> You're just figuring that out? And if you come, it'll be worse <laughs> to some degree. No, it's not perfect, but it's made up of redeemed people, and there's organization to it. Trust your leaders. You can trust the leaders of verse 7, can't you, who preach the word of God faithfully and who live a life that's worth following. You can trust the leader like that. Trust them and submit 
Now, since the word authority is not in there, it certainly is implied. What are you submitting to? You're submitting to their leadership. You're submitting to their direction. And there are other portions in the scripture that talk about authority. And the whole idea of authority in the local church is a common motif throughout the New Testament. We're told in Peter to yield to civil authorities and in Romans chapter 13 as well. But there comes a point where you don't yield to civil authorities and that's where they break off from following God. So if they give orders that aren't against the word of God, you follow them. And if they give orders that are against the word of God, you stop following them. And that's the same thing in the church. This submitting to the leadership of the church does not mean blind obedience. It cannot mean that because in verse 9, he's talking about people who have discernment about the divisive doctrines, strange doctrines, and recognizing them and not getting involved with that. One of the problems of the church today and so-called Bible-believing church today is this authoritarianism that takes on draconian measures sometimes where a leader becomes like a cult or like he's follow, uh, putting together a cult. He's a cult leader and people just yield to that person. A megalomaniac who's got this narcissistic personality disorder who always wants attention and always wants submission. And we've seen people fall from strong Bible-believing churches because they were pastors like that. How sad that is. Some churches, the spiritual leadership has such a strong domineering control of the congregation that you even have to get approval from your leaders for a major purchase or to move, or to take a new job, or to marry an individual. What does the Bible say about that? First Peter chapter five, don't lord it over the flock, elders. Don't lord it over the flock. You're not to think of yourself as the boss. You are to think of yourself as the servant. And that's a whole different perspective. A domineering intrusiveness by leaders into the lives of their people hinders Christian liberty and discourages Christian maturity because we're all priests, right, before God. So don't go to the extreme where you take out of context the verse from 1 John that says you don't need anyone to teach you <laughs> when Hebrews 13 says you absolutely do. You have the Holy Spirit, but you're responsible and you've got to make decisions, but you've got spiritual leaders hopefully to help guide you by what they say and by how they live. Look at Jesus in his leadership. How different is the leadership of today from the one who poured water in a basin and got on his knees to wipe the feet of the disciples? That's what's important. And the New Testament has a whole lot to say about mutual submission. But notice this, you're to yield to these leaders who are good leaders from verse seven, 
Why? Because they keep watch over your souls, literally. They keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Scariest verse in the Bible for me is that verse. They keep watch over you. Greek word has the idea of sleeplessness. And every pastor knows what it is to lose sleep over problems in the, in the church. Paul would say the burden of the care of all the churches is upon me, and he could never get over it. It was Thomas Aquinas who said this idea of watching over the flock is much much like we see in the Christmas story in Luke chapter two where there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields keeping watch over their flocks at night. He says this whole idea is sometimes the sleeplessness in the watching. You have in verse seven the preaching responsibility of the leaders like a town crier and now you have the pastoral responsibility of the leaders like a loving shepherd. And the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible talks about this word watch is used for the watchman on the city walls. Isaiah 62, God says, I have set watchmen upon your walls, O Jerusalem. Not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense as well. They watch for your souls as those who must give an account. They give an account for how they watched, but they also give an account for how the people responded. It says here, yield to them, last part of verse 17, yield to them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. What does that mean? Well, if you're one of the troublemakers that God puts in every church, well, let's not blame him that God allows to come into every church. You will harm the health of the local congregation. You will hinder the spiritual growth of other people. And you will be a burden to those who are watching over your souls and must give an account. James chapter three, not many of you should presume to be teachers because those who teach will incur a stricter judgment. It was Jesus who talked about in the parable of the foolish manager said, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be required. Greater responsibility means increased accountability. Imagine Judgment Day. You ever think about that? Imagine standing before the Lord on Judgment Day. Every one of us, without exception, will stand before God. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, 
Now, while believers don't stand in judgment for their sin, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans tells us. And salvation is a free gift, for by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. Nevertheless, the works of believers will be judged, Romans 14. So then each one of us will give an account of themselves to God, each one of us. The Bible pictures it as a judgment where an individual believer presents his life's work before the Lord in the form of buildings. Some of the buildings are made with wood, hay, and stubble. Some of the buildings are made with gold, silver, and precious stones. The foundation of each building is Christ, but it's what you build on that, that will be judged. And Kent Hughes put it this way, each life will be publicly subjected to the revealing torch of Christ's judgment, and with the flames comes the moment of truth. Does that not scare you somewhat? Repent. And in that same judgment, pastors will give account of their ministry and account of their people. Young pastor came to Charles Spurgeon one time and said, I'm really discouraged. My church is so small. Of course, Spurgeon had thousands who attended him at the Meta attended his services at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Spurgeon said, how many people do you have in your church? He said, about 50. Spurgeon said, that's more than you'll want to give account for in the day of judgment. Large church, large accountability, hard to care. Many failures and regrets and tears Frank, frankly, to be a leader is a pain. The weight of all the church is upon you. But to be a leader in God's church is incredibly fantastic because all of the blessings that come with it. I came across this quotation from a pastor by the name of Phillips Brooks. To be a true minister to people is always to accept new happiness and new distress. The man who gives himself to other people can never be a wholly sad man, but no more can he be a man of unclouded gladness. To him shall come with every deeper commitment a before untasted joy, but in the same cup shall be mixed sorrow that was beyond his power before to feel. That's just the reality. And I wouldn't want to do anything else. <laughs> but it comes with it some serious things. Yeah, leadership can be a pain, just ask Moses. What a horrible time he had with a group of complainers. 
But Paul says, what is our hope and joy and crown of rejoicing and glory in the presence of Jesus Christ? What is it? It's you. It's you. And in that day, when the pastor can say, what a blessing South Church was. What a blessing. And I can say that. He gets the glory. And he gets the honor. But failure not to follow your leaders cannot be of benefit to you, both in this life and in the life to come. And what special significance did these words have to a group of people who were thinking of leaving the faith and giving up on their leaders? One final thing. So we are to remember our leaders and imitate them, trust our leaders and yield to them. Thirdly, pray for your leaders and embrace them. And here's the warmth of it all. Verse 18, pray for us. The author of Hebrews says, whoever he is. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. That's good. I particularly urge you to pray so that I might be restored to you soon. What kind of restoration are we talking about? It could be just physical, probably is physical restoration, that I will come to you soon. But it might be spiritual restoration because this writer and the people, some of the people in that Hebrew congregation were at odds. And he's calling them to stay true. And in essence, he's gonna say, you pray for me, I'll pray for you. Isn't it interesting, verse seven, he talked about former leaders. In verse 17, about present leaders, yield to them. And in verse 18 and 19, about an absent leader. But prayer is important because we cannot do anything without the prayer of God's people. Truly, this church does not go forward without your prayers. Do you believe that? The day will declare it. <laughs> Scary, but true. Let's make it a vital priority. Imagine a praying people and godly leadership coming together for the kingdom of God. What would happen? Amazing things. And quickly, verse 24, greet all your leaders and all God's people. That's where I get the word embrace because the Greek word here has the idea to enfold with your arms, to greet. This is easier than a holy kiss, whatever that is. We didn't practice it before COVID. We're not planning to practice it afterward. But we should in practice when we can the warm embrace, at least with our hearts, if not with our arms. All your leaders, what a warm bond between pastor and people. Why did Jesus, our King, give us this word? Because those who have been redeemed by his grace, which was the subject between seven and 17, he wants his people to be a family that follows him. Oh God, in heaven, and our King and our Savior, 
Make that reality our constant experience in this place. Amen.